But we're going to continue today with part three of our series entitled Culture Shift. We've been going through the book of Daniel. How many of you enjoyed this series so far? Can I see a raise of hands? How many of you say this is a timely message? I'd say so too, right? We've been, we've been talking about a culture shift and how, 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 how we're supposed to react and what's supposed to happen when the culture around us starts to shift. We've been talking about how back in the day you used to get credit for being a Christian and today you get demerits, right? What used to be called good today is called bad and what used to be called bad is now called tolerable, right? TV wants you to tolerate all these things, right? You can't even see a cell phone commercial without seeing them pushing somebody's agenda, trying to just get us familiar with it, right? Every TV, every show that I flip through on TV has some kind of agenda it's pushing. And so the, the, the thought behind that is that we'll continue to see it. It'll become normal, right? And then one day we'll learn to accept it, right? So we've been talking about how, how the culture around us is shifting, how things have happened. We've talked about what happened in Houston with the mayor. Uh, last week we talked about what happened with the church. And did you see the thing from Starbucks this week? Starbucks put out, the the CEO of Starbucks put out a statement that said, if if you believe in same-sex, no, no, if you believe in uh, traditional marriage, biblical marriage, we want you to shut your, your, your franchise down. Starbucks has thousands and thousands of of franchises. The CEO makes a statement that says, if you believe in biblical marriage, we're telling you to shut your franchise down. (laughs) What are we coming to? It's crazy, right? Let me tell you something. The culture around you is shifting, but it's nothing to be afraid of. It's nothing to be scared of. It's nothing to run from, right? Because you've heard me say that the greatest power in all the world lives inside of you. The greatest power in heaven and on earth lives inside of you. And you have no reason to be afraid. You just need to know how to live and what to do when the culture around you is becoming dark. Right? There's a reason the Bible says that you're the light of the world. If the world's bright, you don't need to be a light. (laughs) Right? I could have made a rap song out of that one. <clears throat> I have to get the beat for that you know, and all that good stuff. But. So week one, we talked about just the basic structure of Daniel and how Daniel and his buddies were, were all coming out of the youth group and they, they got swept up by the Babylonian army and brought to Babylonian University. And the Babylons captured them and they brought them back to Babylon and they, they tried to change the way they thought. They tried to reteach them a new language a new religion, a new process of thinking, a new government, right? They started trying to, to teach them what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. What they were trying to do is they were trying to get them to forget what they were raised in and, and to learn this new type of way. Sound familiar? So Daniel and his buddies are swept off to Babylon. Last week we talked about how Daniel and, and his friends were offered, because they were, they were young, good-looking guys that seemed to be intelligent, they were offered a position at the king's, kind of working for the king. And, and the king said, look, bring these guys in and feed them the same thing that I eat. Give them the best because I want them to be healthy. I want them to be treated right. I want them to be taken care of. And Daniel and his friends said, no, we will not do it. Ask the guy, said, man, can we eat vegetables for 10 days? Now, that's got to be God. Right? I mean, who goes around saying, can I eat vegetables for 10 days? And so the, the guy finally agrees and he lets them eat vegetables and drink water for 10 days. And the Bible says that they were 10 times better in appearance than the guys who ate from the king's table. That sounds pretty cool, right? But the, the, here's the funny thing is the miracle wasn't in the diet. The miracle was in their heart and in their stand. Because you see, the king's table was filled with food that was given sacrificially to other gods. And God's word says, you shall not bow down, you shall not worship any other gods. 
right? So Daniel and his friends says, we're not touching that. That's, that's, it's dirty. It's filthy. It's not for me. I'm going to eat vegetables and water and God honored their stand, right? And then, then, so they, they get to be in the, in the king's quarters. They get a position and, and then Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Last week we talked about how Nebuchadnezzar comes to all of his magicians and all of his soothsayers and his sorcerers. And he says, he says, I want you to do something. I want you to first tell me the dream. Then I want you to give me the interpretation. But you see, they were used to getting the dream and just having to come up with the interpretation. And Nebuchadnezzar, for some reason, says, no, this time I want you to tell me what the dream is. And these guys were like, okay, do it. He says, oh, really, you can't do it? And they're like, no, king, it's not fair that you ask that of us. He says, oh, if you can't do it, then I'm going to kill all of you. And Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego were all part of that team. And Daniel jumps up and says, oh, time out, king. Hang on a minute. <laughs> give, me, give me a day. Give me a couple hours. Let me and my buddies go pray to my God and see if he'll give us the interpretation. And so the king agrees, and, and Dave, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his buddies, they, they go off and they pray. And then Daniel comes back and he tells the king his dream. He tells him what he dreamed. So imagine that Daniel's there telling the king, king, this is what you saw in your dream. And he went through the whole spill of what the dream was like. And then the king's going, wow. Whoa. This guy's legit. I didn't think anybody could do this. Oh my goodness. Can you believe this? As he tells him the dream. And if I'd have been Daniel, I'd have been like, okay, Keen, you got your dream. I'm going to, because I wouldn't have wanted to give him that interpretation that he was going to fall one day. But he does. He gives him the interpretation. And we finished up the message last week talking about how King Nebuchadnezzar, he was the mightiest king on the planet. The most powerful, the most resourceful, the most, the most arrogant, but the highest, most powerful king on the planet. Looking at a teenager just, that just interpreted his dreams. And he says, and he, the Bible says he falls on his face, prostate, like flat on his face. And he starts worshiping Daniel's God. He even jumps up and he makes a decree that says, everybody needs to worship Daniel's God. Anybody talks bad about Daniel's God, you're going to have to deal with me and all these things. And that's how we finished up last week. So Nebuchadnezzar had a great, just a, a great experience with God, right? And some of you here today, you've had great experiences with God. And the sad truth is that some of you live from experience only to the next experience. When the cool thing about Daniel and his buddies is that they just lived with God. Because you see, if you live from experience to experience, there's always a void and an emptiness between the next experience. You see, the king experienced God, but he wasn't transformed by God. Right? So today we're jumping into chapter 3 of Daniel. And the scholars don't know exactly how much time has transpired, but most believe it it has been a couple of years since the king had his experience with God. And uh, Babylon continues to expand its influence in the world power. And, and, And the funny thing is that as Babylon gets stronger, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego rise in power too. And remember, they're, they're Jewish boys living in a foreign land that worships pagan gods and God's raising them up in the midst of all this. Okay, you got to remember that. They took a stand on what they believed. They stood on God's word that they knew. And God still rose them in the ranks. You see, the lie of the enemy is, is that if you'll stand for God, then you won't ever get anywhere. People will just keep knocking you down. But the truth is, is when you stand for God, God positions you for a promotion. So if you never stand, you may never get promoted. Come on. But God positions you for promotion when you make a stand. So let's let's look at Daniel chapter 3. Let's go into verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold 
whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the, the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now you're going, hang on a second. King Nebuchadnezzar just had an experience with God, right? He just had an epiphany, if you want to say. He had an experience with God where he fell on his faith and he he worshipped God. And then now all of a sudden he's building a statue of him that's like tall and wide and it's covered in gold. And not only does he build a statue and put it on the front lawn, he invites everybody that has, that is anybody to come and see his grand opening of his new statue. (laughs) The grand viewing of my new statue. I want everybody to come see. He's clearly intoxicated with his own power, pleasure, and position, right? Some scholars believe that the statue he built was in the image of the dream he had. Remember that dream was that there was a statue and the head was gold and it went down with different metals and it got weaker all the way to the bottom. They believed that he actually built that image according to that dream. And so he's, he's clearly wrapped up in himself. Let's look at verse 4. It says, Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is, a, is, it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, uh, psaltery and symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. <laughs> I mean, he's like breathing threats. He's going to make you worship his God, right? He's going to make you follow his rules. Now, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in a sticky situation right now, right? Because they've already made a stand kind of behind the scenes, right? They didn't want to eat from the king's table, so they went to the eunuch, the guy that was over them, and said, look, let us eat vegetables. He said, okay, but if something happens to you, I'm going to kill for this. You better be right, and they were right, right? And so now they're in a place where out in the public, they have to make a stand for what they believe. You see what's going on? So Nebuchadnezzar builds this image of himself. It's, it's, it's massive. He invites all the important people in the region. He says, come out and see this thing. And oh, by the way, when you hear the music play, you need to bow down to my image. Now, I got a guy right now working on a bronze statue of me. And I'm going to put it out there where the flagpole was. But we got we to reinforce the concrete a little better. It's a big statue. And anytime the worship team starts playing, I want you guys to run outside and bow down in front of that statue. And if you don't, I'm going to bring you out in the back and we're going to have a, a yuboucherie. <laughs> Sounds kind of ridiculous, doesn't it? But that's what he did. And the funny thing is, is that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are part of the important people because remember, God just promoted them. In the midst of this dark culture, God promoted them. And so they're in the crowd. Now, scholars believe Daniel was at the king's palace. He wasn't actually in the crowd that day. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were. And so this guy makes this announcement. He says, you need to bow down to this image whenever you hear this. Think about what was going through their minds. Think, of, think about or, or put yourself in that place where you say, okay, I'm standing here with, let's say, 30,000 people. And, and somebody makes that announcement. What's going through your mind? And when you know the word, the word says you shall not worship any other gods. Right? You know that. That's a part of how you were raised. Okay? That's in your blood. And all of a sudden, somebody comes in front of you and says, you need to bow down to this thing. And there's 30,000 people around you. What are you going to do? Imagine the pressure you felt. Well, what do we do? I mean, imagine they were like, bro, what are we going to do? I don't know. I mean, do we, do we like bow down? I mean, 
Daniel won't be able to see us. We're amongst 30,000 people. And these other sap suckers, they don't care about us. They don't, they don't believe what we believe. So, man, do we compromise? You need to get this. Do we compromise? Do I give in? Do I fall down under the pressure of what the culture says I need to do? Even if my life is threatened? <laughs> you see, you need to get that because he said their lives were threatened that if they didn't bow down, they was going to have to go into the furnace. Any of those words sound familiar? Well, I wonder if I just, if I just compromise this one time and just, I just need to just get through this. So I, it's okay to fall one time. And then here comes the enemy. Oh yeah, you, you can have God's grace. Go ahead and compromise this time. He knows your weakness. He knows you're not strong. It's okay, right? He's tatting you. That's what he does. He tatas you into falling, into compromising. Nobody's looking. Daniel's not around. Nobody will ever know. You can do it. Right? Or what about this one? You'll just do better next time. Does that ever sound familiar? You see, there's days coming when I believe we're going to be tested like never before on what we're going to stand on and what we're going to believe for. Are we going to give in? Week one, we talked about how there's three responses you can have when the culture around you starts to shift. The first one is you can retreat. You can just take off running and hiding. The little Y2K practice. Get you some MREs and go hide in the woods and, and just try to stay away and keep your family safe and this and that. Or you can, you can just kind of compromise and you can just give in to this culture around you. And then the third thing we talked about is how you can engage this new culture. You can engage this thing with the power of love. And you can see it as the greatest opportunity in history to lead people to Jesus. The greatest opportunity in history to see the power of God like you've never seen it before. I'm telling you today that there's days coming ahead of us and we're in them right now where you're going to have opportunities to see the power of God displayed like you've never seen before in your life. I'm telling you, it's going to happen everywhere around you. You're going to be in the middle of it. And if you'll just pray and love God and stay in a relationship with him, you're going to see miracles happen. It's not going to be in the church necessarily. It's going to be in your world. Your realm of influence is where you're going to see the miracles start to happen. Right? You with me? So if these guys don't bow down when the music plays, they're going to burn. Verse 12, there are certain Jews. So the music plays. These guys don't bow down. They just stand there. <laughs> Imagine their legs are probably going. Oh God. Listen, it's okay to be nervous when you serve God. Okay. It's okay to be shaking in your pants when you got to make a stand. That's perfectly normal. Okay. So these guys are standing. And there's guys that are looking for somebody. You know, there's always looking, there's always somebody looking to see who's not following the rules. Any of you rule abiders, right? When nobody follows the rules, what are you tempted to do? Go tell everybody else who's not following the rules, right? I'm glad you didn't raise your hand. That way we don't know who you are. So that's where we pick it up in verse 12. There, there are certain Jews whom you've set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. <laughs> so they got ratted out. <laughs> you ever been ratted out before? <laughs> Uh-oh. We didn't just get away with it. We didn't just slip by. I bet they were praying, God, I pray that we become invisible. <laughs> Lord, just make us invisible right now, Lord. Or maybe it was like, Lord, I pray everybody gets into this so much they don't even know what notice us standing here like a bunch of bumps on the log. But they get told on. And then there's a choice to be made. You see, Nebuchadnezzar is demanding wholehearted worship, which begs the question, what's worship? 
What is worship? Worship is the act of demonstrating love, respect, honor, and reverence and adoration toward a God, any God. Worship is not just intended for God Almighty. Worship can be for any God, the God of money, the God of possessions, the God of the flesh, right? The God of food, the God of sex, right? The God of of all kinds of things. You can worship all kinds of things. And the act of worship is when you give love, respect, honor, reverence, and adoration towards something. You see, the Bible says that God's a jealous God. We sang a song that said, he's jealous for me. In other words, he wants all of my attention. He wants all of my adoration. He wants all of my love. He wants all of my affection. He doesn't want to share it with anything else. Amen? So these men are facing the 90-foot golden idol. And here's the funny thing is that today we face more subtle gods in our culture. Let's talk about those for a minute. The first thing we face, the first God that we face is possessions. Isn't that true? Possessions. It's nice to have possessions, but it's not good when our possessions have us. Right? And there's nothing wrong with having possessions as long as your possessions don't have you. How do you know the difference? Are you spending more time with your possessions than you are with God? Are you giving them more attention? Are you giving them more affection, more energy, more effort? Come on, somebody. Is is when when you lay in the bed, are you thinking about your possessions more than you're thinking about God? These are just simple ways to, to, to identify if, if I'm worshiping my possessions. I mean, let me tell you something from my own experience. I've struggled with this because I love possessions. I really do. My mama loved possessions, and I just inherited that gift from her. <laughs> my, mama, my mama had a closet built on to our double-wide trailer we grew up in, and it was like a 10-by-20 closet. My mama's God was clothes. And she bought expensive clothes. And she had to, we had to build her a closet to contain her clothes. Okay? That same thing passed on to me, just not with clothes. I love toys. I love houses. I love cars. I love Fords. I love, come on, somebody. I love possessions. I'll just be honest with you. And there's been times in my life where I've worshipped my possessions more than I've worshipped God. Can I just be real with you this morning? And here's the crazy thing is that I don't really have anything that God hasn't given me. God blesses me. You've heard, me, you've heard my tithe message. It's my life tithe message that I, I, I've given continually and I've never been without anything. And God, God literally blesses me. And I think sometimes he's so good to me to, just to see if my heart's going to stay right. Come on. Am I going to get wrapped up in these possessions or not? You've heard us say before that money is a wonderful tool, but a lousy God. It'll let you down, won't it? <laughs> the second God we, we, we worship is pleasure. Anybody like a little pleasure? Anybody like to feel good? Come on. Pleasure in and of itself is not bad, but when, it, when one pursues pleasure at all costs, it becomes an idol. 1 Timothy 6.17 says that God gives us richly all things to enjoy. God wants you to enjoy your life, but he doesn't want your, your pleasure and your enjoyment of life to take you away from him. Amen? You should never put your pleasure before your God. Come on, somebody. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego loved their life. But at this moment, they didn't put it before God. They didn't compromise God for pleasure. Come on, you got to get this. Sometimes we get, we get to feeling bad or we get upset or somebody's done something to us and we let that affect our relationship with God, right? Let somebody come and cuss you out and see how much you love Jesus, Right? Let somebody steal something from you and see how much you love Jesus. Let somebody close to you get sick and see if it doesn't try to affect your relationship with Jesus. 
Right? We love pleasure. I love it when everything goes right. I love it when my back don't hurt. Come on, I love it when I can bend over and I don't hear the birds. Because I'm wheezing because I ate too much, right? I love it when, when I can eat something good and I don't get all swollen and I feel good, right? But I can't ever let my pleasure overcome my God. And the third God we worship from time to time is prominence. Some people live to get their name in, in the who's who's and what's what's and and they, they, they want the chief seat at the banquet, right? Some people want to be on top. Some people want their name on the bulletin. Some people want prominence. Some people want recognition. You want to know who that is? Look at Facebook. They promote themselves before they promote anything else, right? You need to see me. You need to see this. You need to see that that I created. You need to do this. I've done this and I've done that. Can I be honest with you? Most of the times... I just unfollow people like that. I just go, I ain't got time for that. Right? We need to constantly promote God. The Bible clearly talks about how we need to be less and he needs to be more. Amen? That's what the Bible talks about. So let's, let's go to the fiery furnace. So now that you've seen the, the three gods that we worship in our culture, let's talk about the fiery furnace in verse 22. Therefore, because the king, because the king's command was urgent. So these guys were given a second opportunity to bow down and worship, and they chose not to. The king, once, once he realized they didn't bow, he called them forward, rebukes them, and he says, okay, I'll give you another chance. He gives them another chance. They said, you can forget about it, king. You don't even need to do it because we're just not going to bow down. We're not. Just save yourself. We're, we're not going to do it. But I'm going to throw you in the fire. I, I, I don't care. I'm not going to bow down. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and a furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then the king was astonished. And he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And and, and the form of the fourth is like the son of God. (laughs) This is crazy. The guys that are bringing them in to the to the furnace get burned up. See, sometimes we worry about the people that are getting us in trouble, right? We get focused on them and what they did to us. Don't worry about those people. Just stay focused on what God wants you to do. He's going to burn them up. He's going to push them off of you, right? And And when the world around you pushes you into something or something happens, you just need to stand. You just need to stand until something happens. The crazy thing is that these guys fall into the fire. And they suddenly become unbound. And there's a fourth member in the, in the fire with them. Now they're in the furnace. Okay. This isn't some secret. They didn't like roll out the back of the furnace or, you know, nothing like that. That, that piece of sausage that rolled off the back of the grill though. It's not like that. Okay. They, they were in the furnace walking around, having a conversation with what even Nebuchadnezzar says looks like an image of the son of God. Let me stop and tell you something this morning. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are just any everyday people just like you. You see, the temptation when you hear a story like this at times is that, oh, well, they were super powered. These guys were special Christians. They were, they were created by God with special abilities to go through all of this stuff. And hopefully one day I can have some of their power. That's not the truth. The truth is, is that they are as average, ordinary, common human beings just like you. Amen? That's important to realize. Because everything that they have, you have. 
If you're here and you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've given your life to Jesus, you have every ounce of what Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have. Come on. You've got to believe this. The enemy's telling you you're worthless, you're ruthless and toothless. Come on, he's telling you you're no good. You can't ever measure up. But the truth is, is it doesn't matter what you've got going on the outside. It matters what you've got on the inside. Right? If you got Jesus on the inside, you've got all you need. The world can throw you into a furnace and you're just going to walk around in the presence of God. Come on, somebody. You've got everything you need to stand. You can stand just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. There's nothing different than them. Nothing. They were normal. Believers in God. You get that? Is it true that the temptation is to think that they were greater than we are? They were some kind of a superhuman? When that's not true. The Bible never says that. When you look at Peter and Paul and and James and, and Luke and John and all those guys, they were just normal people. That lived in an unnormal world. Serving an unnormal God. Right? And they did great exploits. And they they seen miracles happen. And the world around them changed. And there was nothing different from them and us. So these guys are in the furnace. They're walking around. Nebuchadnezzar's freaking out. He's going, didn't we throw three? Now there's four. Why are they walking around? Are they not supposed to be burned up? <laughs> the rest of the story goes, Nebuchadnezzar calls him out. He says, hey, come out of there. <laughs> and they come out and the Bible says they didn't even smell like smoke. I never forget, I was in children's church and we had a little, a little uh, I love children's church. They do the coolest things. We had a little demonstration. You take a rag and I think you put some, uh, I think it's alcohol you put on the rag and you can light it and it burns, but it doesn't get hot, right? So I'm, I'm in children's church in Jennings and I got all these kids and we were like 99% boys. So they were really into this. You know, I had a flame and I had a, a fuel. They were like, oh, we're listening today. And so, so I get them in and I'm talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and I said, and the guys, they, they were in the fire, but they didn't get burned. I said, it was like this. And I went, woof. And I lit the thing up in my hand. And I said, you see? And I'm walking around and I'm showing them. They're going. I said, it was like that. They, they didn't even singe. They didn't smell like smoke. They didn't this. They didn't that. And they were like. <gasps> and I hope they got it. <laughs> Children's church is cool. I'm telling you. It's the funnest place in the church. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trusted God more than they feared the king, more than they feared the fire, and more than they feared death itself. The crazy thing about all this is that they took a stand for God. They took a stand. They said, I'm not bowing down. In other words, they listened to the word of God. They obeyed God's word. That's all they simply did is just obey God's word and not worship a false image. And because they did that, they experienced God like nobody else had. You see, we want to have experiences with God, but we want them under our conditions, don't we? (laughs) We want to set the parameters. We want to set the place. Lord, listen, I'm going to be sitting at, at the table with a steak and some bluebell and apple pie. And, and, and I just, I want you to come and I want to have this great experience with you. Right? Isn't it how we are? We want to set the scene. Lord, I want to have an experience with you like this. And he says, no, 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 no. This is my timing. In other words, you're going to experience me when you make a stand and something comes against you. Maybe the reason you're not experiencing anything is because you're too busy running from everything. Hopefully that woke a few of you up. Maybe if you'll stop running long enough, you can experience God. Maybe if you'll stop ducking and diving long enough, you can experience God. Maybe instead of praying for God to get you out of something, won't you pray that God would get you through something? 
Instead of throwing up a rescue prayer, won't you say, Lord, won't you come with me and be with me in this thing? Right? Won't you come and let's experience this together? I need your help, Lord. Most of my prayers have been, Lord, get me out of here. Save me, right? Let me start to wrap this up for you. God decided to deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace and not from it. You see, God could have easily made the flame go out, right? He could have just made the flame go out. But he didn't, did he? In fact, he let them turn the fire up. And sometimes we question God when things get dark in front of us. Why are you letting this happen, God? Why? Why? Well, maybe he's setting the scene. He decided to save them, to rescue them in the furnace and not from the furnace. And this is the whole point of the story. That sometimes God delivers people from the fire, but sometimes he delivers people in the fire. Isaiah 43, 2 says this, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. That's a promise. He says the flames of life, the flames of the world around you aren't going to burn you. In other words, stop looking at the flames. Start looking at giving him glory. Start looking at getting through this thing so that people can see that there's something different in you. Right? There's something greater in you than it is in them. See, when you became a Christian, you didn't exempt yourself from anything bad happening. Actually, what you did is you put a bullseye on you. <laughs> you put one square on your back. And you, what you, in reality, what you said was, devil, I dare you to mess with me. He was like you were saying, come on. Lord, I give you my life. Come on, devil. And he's coming after you. And sometimes God doesn't put the flame out. Sometimes things stay tough for a reason. Sometimes things stay hard for a reason. I thank God for the hardest times I've been through. I thank God for the roughest experiences I've ever had. I thank him that I grew up without a daddy and the way me and my dad's relationship has come full circle. I thank God for that. You know why I can thank God for the bad things that have happened in my life? is because I realized that it was in those bad times, in those hard times, in those rough times, those scary seasons, that he is right there with me in a tangible way. In a tangible way. He's right there with me. I remember when my mama died. She raised me, blood, sweat, and tears. My mama raised me, and she gave me the world, and she died. And I'm standing, watching her take her last breath. And I felt the presence of God like I'd never felt it to that point in my life. And because he was there with me during that season, I was able to give a prayer of thanksgiving. Of thanksgiving instead of a sorrowful prayer. Oh, Lord, please. Oh, help me to feel better. Oh, Lord. I was like, Lord, thank you for the time I had with my mama. Thank you for the experiences we've had. Thank you that I was here to see her take her last breath. Right? It's in those times that we experience God like never before. So don't run from him. Unless God tells you to run, don't run. Just stand and you will experience God like you've never experienced him before. How many of you want experiences with God? How many of you want to be in the presence of God? Then you need to go where he's at and not expect him to come where you're at. Right? And sometimes it's the hard things in life that lead us. The question I want to leave you with today is what are you going to worship? In the days coming, what are you going to worship? Are you going to give in? 
Are you going to bow? I'm, I'm right now I'm thinking about one of the guys that has a franchise, a Starbucks franchise. And I know there's got to be one of them that's a believer. I'm wondering what's going through his mind right now. Do I deny that I, I, I stand for biblical marriage and keep my franchise? Or do I stand and then dare him to take it away from me? Do I, do I stand and dare to see what's going to happen? Think about that. There's days coming, and it may even be tomorrow, that you walk onto your job site and you have an opportunity to compromise. What are you going to do? Are you going to give in or are you going to stand? You see, the Bible says our, our battle is not with flesh and blood. It's not between us humans. It's in the heavenly realm. All I got to do is stand and just keep loving people around me. Your greatest weapon is love. Right? That's why we said you, you got three choices. Retreat, compromise, or engage in love. That's the choices you have for the upcoming days. If you'll just engage in love, you'll see miracles happen in front of you. Amen? You can do this. You've got everything that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have living inside of you. You don't have to be scared. In fact, you need to be excited about the times that are coming. Because we're going to see God like we've never seen God before. Amen? You're going to be in more experiences than you've ever been in before. I'm going to close with this one story. Something fresh off the press. It's kind of funny, but I bought some goats. And I, I was trying to figure out if I were to tell a story or not. But I bought some goats. bought three milk goats, some Nubian goats. All in all, I paid $500 for these goats. Because I wanted some goat's milk. Because it's better for you. And I'm into raising animals. And I like them. And I've never milked anything, so I wanted to experience that. I'm sure after the second time, I'll give it to the kids and make them do it. Right? That's how we do that. So I bought these goats. So I brought them home, and I got the goats home. And I'm all excited about my goats. I'm studying goats, how to milk goats. You know, found a cool little milking machine, so you don't have to actually put your hands on it. You can just squeeze this thing. and It has a vacuum. and sucks the milk. I'm, I'm all into goats. All right, and so these goats are, they're not really tame. They're kind of wild. They're not used to it. So I put them in a pen in the barn, and, and every day we go out and we, we try to pet them and get them used to us. And the barn sits in the middle of a pasture that has four strands of hot wire that has 7,000 volts running through it. It keeps my animals in, keeps the coyotes out. So four days goes by, and my, my friend, I'll tell you all my new friends are old, or one of my older friends tells me, says, you need to leave them in the barn for at least three weeks and let them get used to you before you let them loose in the passion. Young and dumb, right? I know better. Four days, Friday afternoon, sitting in the living room with the kids. We're talking about goats. I said, you know what? Let's go let the goats out. And even Ethan was like, dad, are you sure? I said, oh, yeah, they're going to be fine. They won't get out the fence. It'll just take them a little bit longer to get used to us because it's just a bigger pin. So we go and we're in the barn and Ethan goes inside. I say, all right, son, open the door. And he opens the door to the barn and they're kind of scared. And all of a sudden, boom, they jump out the door. Well, they're in the pasture. Four strands of hot wire can't get out. So I come around the barn and I see Ethan starting to run. I said, stop, 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 stop. Don't run. Don't chase him. And I see the, the goats are going, heading straight for the fence. And then they stopped, and I was like, <gasps> and then they turned around and went poof, through the fence. Took two or three hops, and poop, took a left turn into the woods. I saw $500 just, just, just gone. Hours of studying, gone. Good thing I didn't order the milk machine, right? All this. So I called Mr. Owen, my new friend, and I, I called everybody. I said, hey, man, come help my goats got out. And Mr. Owen was like, well, how'd they get out? And I didn't want to tell him I let them out. <laughs> I was kind of like, well, they just got out the barn. <laughs> That's not really lying, is it? So anyway, but so he comes and he, he brings another goat and all this. And we, we walked the woods for a couple hours, didn't find anything. So that's a Friday afternoon. Saturday morning, Doug comes and, and Saturday morning's opening deer season. So we're wearing orange walking through the woods. <laughs> 
Thank God it wasn't bear season. I'd had a more likely chance to get shot. But so we're walking through the woods Saturday morning, don't find anything. I'm like, God, oh, man, I'm just, I'm sick. I feel like I just made the stupidest decision in my life. My kids are all, they won't even look at me. My wife, she's probably chomping at the bits to say something, but she knows better. And so the week goes by and I'm just, I'm beating myself up. And so I'm, I'm like, nope, ghost didn't come back. Put some food out. They never touched it. Like, man. So then I didn't know, but my wife and my kids had started telling their teachers and their aunts to start praying for the goats. Right? And I started praying for the goats too. I was like, Lord, bring them goats back. But I was more like, Lord, bring the $500 back. Because it would be a sin to go spend another $500 when I just let 500 walk out the thing. So a week goes by and I gave up. And I'll just be honest with you, I gave up. I started shopping for new goats. And I was outside working under the carport and a lady drives up. She says, hey, you missing some goats? I said, yeah. She said, I just saw them on the side of the road. They're not far from your house. I said, well, hang on. I'm getting in my truck. So me and Virginia jump in. We go over there and I see them. And but hope stirred up. I'm going to catch my goats. Woo! So, man, that was like a Sunday afternoon. And I'm like, man, I, I don't need to chase them now. I need to wait. It was almost dark. I need to wait. So Monday morning, I called my friend. And, and he said, okay, we're going to go out there first thing Monday morning. See if we can find them. We got there Monday morning. No goats. Man, but they looked like they were laying down. So we built a trap, a Cajun trap. <laughs> it's, it's quite a piece, but it works. <laughs> so we go out and we drag this eight foot by four foot thing down into this big old ditch and we set it up and we'll catch me some goats. And then another week goes by. I couldn't even get a coon in the trap. I mean, like nothing touched the food. Okay, nothing. So at this point, my wife's giving up. I don't know if she's shopping for new goats, but she's just like, the goats ain't going. And the whole time, the teachers are asking the kids every day, goats yet? Goats yet? No, we'll just keep praying. And my wife's aunt's texting her, just believe the goats are going to come back. The goats, you know, sometimes when people do that, you kind of go, ah, shut up. Just let, me, just let me forget. Right? So we, we said, okay. So then it was uh, yesterday. I was on my way to my friend's house and a guy calls me and he says, Hey, I just saw your goats. <laughs> Tells me where they are. He said, man, they're right on the side of the road. I, was like, man. I didn't want to set myself up again. You know what I'm saying? And so I said, all right. So I made a few phone calls, called a friend of Doug's that has some dogs, some cattle dogs. <laughs> so we make this big old plan. And so, we're waiting for this guy to show up, and my friend drives his four-wheel over there to where the goats were spotted. And so I grabbed the family. We're standing in the park in the driveway of my house, waiting on this guy to drive. We're holding hands in a circle. And I said, we're going to believe God for these goats. I said, I know this sounds silly, because, you see, God was teaching me something through all of that. And I, so I grabbed their hands, and we prayed for the goats. I said, Lord, bring the goats home. Please, Lord, bring it. And my fleshly mind's going, this is so stupid. It's going, I hope somebody doesn't see us. At Kumbaya in the front yard. And, and so we're praying. And as soon as we finish praying, the guy drives up with the dogs. And we jump in the car. We go. We jump down in the woods. And the dog, man, the dog jumps, jumps the goat. And the goat's in a gully. And I, I, I jump in the gully. And I'm taking off running. He's got three dogs. And they're tearing the goat up. And, man, I'm running down the gully. And I trip a couple times. And I realize in that moment, I can't run in gullies no more. This ain't made for that. And we caught the goat. We caught the first one. Then we caught the second one, the two mamas. And then there was a baby that was still missing. She was only six months old. And so, man, we, it took us forever to get them lazy things out the woods. And I'm breathing hard. And, and the guy that called me, he came and jumped in, made a new friend. And so we get them out and then send the dogs back in and come to find out the little goat was killed five minutes before we got there by a stray dog. He was not even 10 feet away from us. And I was just like, God, man. And I was more mad just because I believed God to bring all the goats back. Right. But because I wasn't there five minutes sooner, the stray dog killed the little bitty goat. And so we, we get the goats back to the house and we put them in the barn. My wife and I are talking last night and, you know, I, I'm wanting to cry for the little goat. Virginia looked at me. She was tearing up because we named her Simmy. 
Don't name your animals. And I'm kind of mad, you know, but I'm glad I got my other two goats back. And so my wife and I were talking last night, and she said, you know what? This is a silly story. It really is just a silly story. I mean, we had men's Bible study Saturday morning. I had three guys with me. Uh, the rest of them were inspired to go hunting. And uh, <laughs> one was sick and one was at a festival. They're all exalted. So we talked about praying without ceasing. And so I encouraged them. I said, guys, just keep praying. Just keep praying. Just keep praying. Don't give up. And the whole time these stupid goats just keep going through my head. And all the people that kept praying for these goats. It's goats. It's just goats. So the point of the story is, even when you don't feel like praying for something, even when you don't feel like keeping on going, there's a cloud of witnesses that's looking over you saying, go, pray, keep going, don't give up. I thank God all my kids' teachers and my wife's aunts and everybody else was praying for our goats because I quit. I just went, God, it's goats. And he said, Jamie, I'm teaching you how to shepherd people. And I'm teaching you how to not give up on people. And I'm teaching you with these stupid goats. One day I'm going to graduate to a better lesson. But today I'm with the goats. So praise God, we got our goats back. Thank you for praying for my goats. And I'm excited to have goats back. If I get some milk, I'll give it to you. We have everything we need, right? We have everything we need. We don't need anything else. You can't add another weapon to your arsenal. You can't improve anything that God's already given you. Amen?